Father, we do, God, just thank you for your, your grace to us. I just thank you for Virginia and her, her kindness to all of us as we have experienced her. I would pray you'd help heal her uh, that she might feel better. Um, God, I just also pray, God, even as we prayed in prayer meeting this morning, just in light of Matthew 5, um, 10 through 12, just about persecuted and how blessed you are if you are persecuted. Men cast insults at you and see all kinds of evil on you and, and even perhaps imprison you. Um, and yet how curious it is, is that we now are, we go into the jails, we go where people are imprisoned because they, <clears throat> they need Christ. God, they're imprisoned for their sins and would pray, oh God, you'd, uh, you'd be gracious. Just thank you for these men who have a great heart to go into the jails and would pray, oh God, you'd, uh, you'd be gracious and um, God, you would work mightily. Um, just thank you for the reports we heard at prayer meeting today. Um, God, we also just pray for the, the youth who are away. Thank you for the corn forests and their farm and their uh, willingness to share it uh, with those in the church and would pray that just the, the time away uh, with the kids, even if it's just, a, I think, two nights, a lot of fun, God, but there will be a time uh, of alone time and there'll be some group times, um, a spiritual time even this morning. God, I just would pray a difference in venue would, would cause the young people, God, to really think deeply of you. Um, Father, I, I do pray, God, just with all the youth that we have here at this church, God, what a, what a great blessing that is. And, and I just pray that, that they would leave from this place as, as encouraged believers who then pursue you. Just thank you for the report I put in the weekly word of Conrad Milton this week. Uh, just uh, pursuing you in church, and he's found a church, and he's got an intervarsity group, and he's working hard at doing what he's doing. We pray you'd help him just in the many outreach opportunities to, to be a salt and light there on the campus of University of Illinois. Uh, God, just thank you for the other college students who I'll put in the weekly word as well. Just thank you that um, they're doing well and uh, pursuing you. And just would pray that for all of our, all of our children. And so, Father, I also pray for the upcoming men's retreat in two weeks. God would pray that it would be a, a time which you would bless the men who are coming uh, with Crossway Fox Valley. And I uh, just love Dan Hardy and uh, just his, his life, how you have totally transformed him from being a rebel against you to one who knows your grace and now as a, as a pastor later in life. God just would pray that that would be a, a special time for us. And even now, as we open your word, I pray, God, that you would just be with us. I know that... That this can be a, a cold lecture, God, apart from your spirit. But with your spirit, oh God, you could move us, God, to, to change what we do and to live in a, in a different way because we have seen it in your word and you have convinced us in your heart, in our hearts, God, that they, we might uh, live in obedience and response to you. So, so bless our time, oh God, now in your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I invite you to open your Bibles to Romans 12. Yes, we continue our, our crawl through Romans 12 is what I'm calling it. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we were in um, uh, verses 9. We looked, preached the first half of verse 9, I think, whatever, three weeks ago, two weeks ago. The second half of verse 9, last week, the first half of verse 10. And this week, the second half of verse 10, I see no reason to, to rush ahead. Though next week, I think I'll look at all of verse 11. So, because they're all kind of along the same theme, so I, I think we'll we'll do that. But this morning is a topical message on on honor. Eager to honor is my message title this morning. It really comes from the second half of of verse ten. I want to read the whole verse for you. It says, "Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor." 
I trust that one of your first observations from this text is there are two commands. There's a command with love and there's a command with honor. Love one another. There's the command to love and outdo one another in showing honor. There is the the second command. And and I I do believe these commands are linked. Um, In other words, right, if you love someone with a brotherly love, you will honor them. I mean, it works like this, right? You love your brother. And then you're encountering someone else and they, they ask about your brother. And so what are you going to say? You're going to honor your brother. You're, you're going to say good things about him. Now, true things, right? But good, but good things. You don't say bad things about him. Someone doesn't, oh, how's your brother doing? Oh, he's doing terrible. He's such a mean guy. You know what he did to me the other day? You don't do that. If you truly love your brother, you'll bring out his good qualities. His positive qualities, not his negative ones. You, you'll lift him up and you will emphasize his good points. That's what honor means. If you have a friend who you love with brotherly affection, when someone comes along and speaks badly about him, you, you will stand up for your friend. You'll either deny what that person says is untrue or, or you'll share your experiences. Like, well, you may experience that. That's not been my experience. Let me tell you about my experience. And you'll fight back. For your friend's honor. You, you'll not tolerate people dishonoring him. That's because if you love someone, you, you won't tolerate him being dishonored. You, you, will, you will do what you can to seek to persuade. And when it comes when speaking with those who you love, you will speak in an honoring way. You, you won't tear down those who you love. You'll be building them up. In fact, that's what honor is. Honor is encouragement. Honor is building up. Honor is First Thessalonians 5.11. Therefore, encourage one another... And build up one another. These commands are linked. Love one another with brotherly affection. And outdo one another in showing honor. So it's good for us. We think about the link here this morning. To to think about brotherly love. Like we looked at last week. Believers in the body of Christ. Are brothers and sisters. We are family. Here at Rock Valley Bible Church. We are family. Right, you can hear that 60s songs. We are family. Right, some of you might know that. Your kids maybe don't know that. But we are family. We are the family of God. <laughs> yes, we are the, the family of God. If you know that song. Right, it's a great song. But through faith in Jesus Christ, we have been accepted into God's family. Romans 8, 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. What an amazing thing it is that, that we as humans, as people... Are sons of God. Now, like, like we are in the image of God, so there is a, a resemblance there. There is a link. We are, we are like God in some ways, but we are totally different from God. He's divine and we're mortal. Right? He, he's, he's eternal and we're human. Right? We, we're, just, we're just different. We're, we're fleshy, but God is, is spirit. And yet, as though we are different species, different beings, yet through faith, we are His children. That's why the Bible speaks about adoption. He's taken us from out of our family and bringing us into his family. And so we are adopted so much into his family that we can refer to God as Abba, Father. That, that most intimate of terms that, that children, even today in Israel, when they're saying Daddy, they're saying Abba, Abba, Abba. It's just the, the name. It's a, it's a name of endearment. It's a name of closeness. It's a name of relationship. And we are adopted into God's family and we all are heirs of the kingdom that he has for us. Romans 8.17. If we're children, then we're heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. That's what it means. We are family. We are brothers and sisters. 
We are family members. That's why Paul often refers to his readers as brothers. And Romans is no exception. There are more than ten times in the book of Romans where he, he calls those in Rome brothers. You know, we, we looked at one of these last week. I just want to look at a few more just to bang them into your head. Romans 1.13. He speaks affectionately towards them. He says, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been presented, prevented. Right? You're a family member, and I want to come and be with you. I've been prevented thus far. But he calls them brothers. He's family, like he's, a, he's long lost, and he's been gone away, and he wants to come back home, even though... He's never been to Rome. Rome is not necessarily home, but where the, the family is, there he wants to be. He's calling them brothers. Uh, just even really quick, he, he affectionately refers to them as brothers. Chapter 7, verse 1. Or do you not know brothers? And then he goes on with the theological argument. Or chapter 7, verse 4. Likewise, my brothers, you've died to the law through the body of Christ. He just continues on, but he's calling them brothers because we're family. Uh, Romans eight twelve. So then brothers... We are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. In fact, the whole reason why Jesus came to earth was to establish for himself a family. Look at Romans 8.29. It says this. It says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So here it is, time passed, he, he foreknew people, he loved people, he predestined them so that he might come into the flesh, die for their sins, that they might believe in him, be trusted in him, be conformed to the image of his son, be more and more like Jesus, his, his people, more like Christ, so that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brothers. He, he died to a secure family so that he might be the chief brother of all of God's children. That's the whole reason why he came is to establish a family where he would be the the chief brother the firstborn the one who gets the inheritance but we get the inheritance with them however that works in heaven i'm not exactly sure and as as family members as members of god's family we ought to love one another with this family sort of love and our love for one another ought to be obvious to all john 13 34 and 35 a new commandment i give you that you love one another just as i have loved you you also are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Our love for one another is a distinguishing characteristic that indeed we are disciples. And Jesus here, he's talking about disciples. We're not physical brothers, but we are spiritual brothers. And our love for one another, this family brotherly sort of love, is a demonstration to the world that indeed we are disciples of Christ. Disciples means brothers. Brothers means love. And love shows that we are disciples. It's kind of how it works in this circle. And one way in which brotherly love is demonstrated is through showing of honor. And that's the second half of Romans 12 and verse 10 that we're looking at this morning. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. My message, I've said, is entitled Eager to Honor. It's because, right, that's the spirit behind this command to honor. Like there's this, this diligence, this, this eagerness that Paul brings out here to, to honor. Now, before we just jump into this verse, again, I need to take this caveat that we are in the middle of the Romans. Of Romans is a letter to be read through, kind of in one sitting, and so to understand that that this is, is a letter that he wrote to a church in Rome 
that, that he was sending ahead so that when he went there, he might be able to be helped by them to go to Spain. It's a missionary support letter. He's saying, I want this gospel to go through you. I want this gospel to go and extend beyond you. Romans fifteen twenty four is a, is a key verse in all of Romans. It says, I hope to see you in passing. And he's coming from the west. He's coming from the east. He's going to pass through uh, into Spain, into Rome. And he's hoping to go on uh, west, east. West. I can't get my directions right. If he's going to Spain from Rome, that direction is what? West. East. West. He's trying. He's going west. All right. I just know he's kind of in the Jerusalem area. He's coming up, going to Rome. And he says, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and be helped on my journey there by you. Once I've enjoyed your company for a while. He wants to go to Spain, but he's got to he's got to get some support. He wants to be helped by them. And he wants to preach the gospel in Spain where Christ has not yet been named. And so that's why he's going there and and it's hoping that the Romans will help him on the way. And and the book of Romans is essentially describing this gospel, which begins with our sin. Romans 1 through 3, that we're under the wrath of God, we're separated from him, and we are in a hopeless estate. And the good news comes in chapter 4, chapters 3, 4, and 5, in which he speaks, God does, Paul does, about, about his grace in sending Jesus his son to be the propitiation of our sin, that, that sacrifice that turns away the wrath of God so that we can be reconciled to God, not because of our goodness, not because of our works, but because of God's free gift of grace to us. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 1-3, through 3, our, our, our sins have brought us to death, but God's grace and the free gift of God gives eternal life in Him, but just by, by faith in Him. And as we believe in Christ then he will work a change in us and a change in our heart. And that's 12.1, Romans 12.1, which we'll come back to again and again. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. You've been saved by his grace and his mercy. And in light of the mercies, how we need to respond. And Romans 12 is all a picture of how Christians ought to respond to this mercy. And one of the ways that we respond is in worship. And one of the ways that we worship is by honoring one another. So, so catch that. We can often think that Sunday morning is just about singing. It's, that We think that's where our worship is, right? When we gather together and we sing a few songs and then we go home and our worship is done. But what Paul is saying is, here, I want you to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And one way to be a living sacrifice is to sacrifice it on the altar of seeking to show others honor. And as you show others honor and you, you lift them up and encourage them and build them up and, and, and they are honored, then you are worshiping. See, worship goes far beyond any Sunday morning activity that we do. It's not just singing. It's not just listening to the Word. It's not just praying here. It's even in speaking with others and showing them honor. And so again, right, our efforts to show honor doesn't merit anything. It comes in response to what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. So let's think about honor. Right? What does it mean to honor someone? I think it means to... To encourage them, to build them up, to affirm them, to identify God's working in their life, to, to exalt them, if you will, to, to lift them up. I, I love the picture set forth in the, the book of Esther. 
in chapter 6. If, if you want to be fast, you can turn there. If not, you can just listen. This is a great picture of honor. There, there are three characters in the story. There's a king, Ahasuerus. There's his right-hand man, Haman. And then there's a Jewish man, Mordecai, whose niece then has become queen. Um, and there's this, I'm not calling it a, there's a triangle. It's not a love triangle. It's the, the king loves Esther. The king's hand is right-hand man is Haman, but Haman hates Mordecai. But Mordecai's got this in with the king, and so that's kind of going is. And, and we pick it up in chapter 6 that, that Haman so hated Mordecai that he built some gallows, and he wanted him executed. He wanted him hang on the gallows. So he was about to go and talk to the king about killing Mordecai. So here it is. The night before Haman goes in to discuss his plans with Mordecai, Esther chapter 6, verse 1 On the night that the king could not sleep, on that night the king could not sleep. (laughs) Wonder why. It's the sovereign hand of God. And he gave orders to bring the book of memorable deeds, the chronicles, and they were read before the king. So if the king doesn't sleep, what? Nobody sleeps. The king doesn't sleep. Right? We we might turn on the TV or turn on the radio or something. None of those back then. He said, "Come, read to me." And so he just said, "Read, read, read our history." And so. It was found how Mordecai, this Jew that Haman hated, had told about Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold, who'd sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. And that was told earlier in the book of Exodus, a story about these, these two conspiring and somehow through Mordecai found out about it, told the king and rescued the king. And the king said, well, what honor, there's our word, what honor or distinction has been bestowed on Mordecai for this. And the king's young men who attended with him says nothing has been done for him. And the king said, who's in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to speak to the king about having Mordecai hanged on the gallows that he had prepared for him. And the king's young men told him, well, Haman is there. He's standing in the court. And the king said, let him come in. And so Haman came in and the king said to him, What should be done to the man whom the king delights to honor? And Haman said to himself, well, who would the king delight to honor more than me? He was his right-hand man. So Haman said to the king, for the man whom the king wants to honor, let royal robes be brought, which the king has worn, and the horse that the king has written, and on whose head the royal crown was set. And let the robes and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials. And let them dress the man whom the king delights to honor. And let them lead him on the horse through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall it be done to the man to whom the king delights to honor. (laughs) The book of Esther is a wonderful book. (laughs) um, We ought to read it more as a church. So Haman took the robes. I'm sorry. So the king said to Haman, hurry, take the robes and the horse, just as you have said, and do so to Mordecai, the Jew, who sits at the king's gate and leave out nothing that you've mentioned. So (laughs) Haman took the robes and the horse and he dressed Mordecai and led him through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights in honor. I suspect probably said, Thus shall it be done to the man to whom the king delights to honor. Like just stirring in his mind and 
Then Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman hurried to his house, mourning and with his head covered. So there's some lots, 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 lots going on there. But it's a great picture of what it means to honor another person, to clothe him in the royal robes, to put the royal crown on his head, and to set him upon the royal horse, and to parade him through the city, proclaiming to all the king's favor upon such a man. That's how you honor someone. Now, we can't do that today. Okay. Um, first of all, our country doesn't have a king. And uh, our president doesn't even ride a horse. Well, he probably, I don't know if he does or not, but it's just, it's just not. I mean, the closest parable, parallel is this, right? When someone from the military is engaged in battle, wounded in the fight, his actions are so heroic that the president summons that person to the White House tells the world on TV what this person did and then gives him what? Andy, what does he give him? Medal of Honor, Purple Heart. Being injured fighting for our country. That's a picture of honor. And of course, we can't do that because we're not the president, we're not the, the military. Right? But, but you can think about other situations. What's a picture of honor? It's an athletic banquet. Where, where all the athletes are gathered and parents and they, they all have their dinner and then awards are given. Or it's the ESPYs or the Grammys or whatever like that, right? The, the best actors, the best everybody's given awards. Or it's uh, Super Bowl ceremonies or it's the NCAA championship or any type of award ceremony. Any, it's, uh, it's the mayor of, of our city, right? Calling some, some community leaders together and honoring them or giving them some ribbon or some token of appreciation. That's the sort of honor that, that honor pictures, right? The giving of gifts is a way of, of honoring. Uh, the giving of awards. Um, you can also honor people by just words. Just commending people for a job well done, a, a deed well done. And showing honor, though, is, is usually a, a public event where, where people can see and hear. And, and that's the whole idea is that I am honoring this person in front of you. And let's, let's join and, and thank the Lord for what, what this person has done. It may be informal, though. You just have a, a conversation with others. Simply bring up something commendable. I mean, even I even had this this week an opportunity here at church. Someone was here, and someone else who knew them just spoke about the trials and troubles they've experienced in their life, and how rather than quitting, they've just pressed on with joy, and pressed on with perseverance, and just a sign of genuine Christian character that just God is true in their lives. And, and, and that person told me that, and someone else was over here. I said, here, can, can you, let me just tell you what this person said about you. And it was a way for me to honor them and for this person to honor them. And there was just, a, just an evidence of God's grace in this life, honoring this person, lifting them up. And, and for us, I think in Romans twelve ten, that's the sort of perspective when we think about applying this text, that that's what is informal, frequent scenario. We should be about frequently honoring other people. So think about you. We're in the presence of those at church, maybe after our service, in our fellowship time, which extends for about another hour after church intentionally. You have an opportunity there to, to stand around and to see other people and to speak with them. 
and uh, you have seen something commendable in someone's life or or someone has done something kind to you or or you noticed in some ways that they have used their gifts to build up the body of Christ and and you simply point it out to those who are around you. You you, you say something like this. You say, you know what, I, I, I appreciate what you said to me the other day. It was a, a timely word that, that was very helpful to encourage me. Just thank you for that. What are you doing? You're saying, I'm identifying that God's given you a bit of discernment, a bit of help. You've served me in that way, and I'm honoring you as you have helped me. Or you might, you might say this. You're, you're talking with some parents, and you know the situation that happened with some of your kids and some neighborhood, and, and, and you say to this other parent, you say, you know what? I, as I heard about your children, what they did, I'm... I'm just proud of your kids for just the way they responded to the, the neighborhood kids. Their, their conduct was pure and right. And even a child is known by his wisdom while their conduct is pure and upright. I just, I just see the way children respond. And, they, and responding that way, they honored you. In Exodus 20, it says, children, obey your parents and, and, and grant them honor. Honor your father and your mother. And, and they've done that. And, and I'm just so encouraged by that. I just want to honor you. In what you're doing with your children, or or maybe something happens and you're in a in a difficult situation, and someone comes along and helps you, and, and you say, "I am, I'm, I'm just thankful to God for the the way that you helped bear my burden, thus you helped fulfill the law of Christ in my life." Wow, because I needed help, and and you just came in and helped me. That, that's a way to honor this person as a, as a servant who has come and, and helped you in your distress. And that sort of stuff ought to go on all the time at Rock Valley Bible Church. You say, well, well what, what, what do I say about other people? What do I say to other people? And I just say Galatians 5, 22 and 23 are a great place to start when you think about what can I say to people. Just, let me just read those for you. It says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. When you see someone who has love, or someone who has joy, or someone who has peace, or patience, or kindness, all you simply need to do to honor someone is identify the fruit of the Spirit that you see in their life, point it out to them, and, and say how much of an encouragement that that was to me. You know, I... I appreciate, I, I, I saw that difficult situation in which you were in and, and things were stressful, but you, know, you responded with patience. And, and, and that's God working in you to be patient over the situation where I know lots of people maybe wouldn't be so patient, but, but God's working in you. What's that? That's a way to encourage, a way to build up, that's a way to honor. Or, or you see something about, say, say self-control. I saw that there was a heated situation there. And I saw you were, right, you're getting red in the face. Um, Dad, I saw how you're getting red in the face and you weren't, weren't really happy with what was happening at home. But, but you calmed down and you demonstrated some self-control and you responded rightly. I, I'm just, I'm really encouraged by that. What are you doing? You're honoring someone for the way in which they responded in godliness. You take the fruit of the Spirit as you see it in someone's life, identify it. And you speak to others about it. Or the gifts of the Spirit. When you see the gifts of the Spirit work in someone's life. And that was Romans 12, 6 through 8. Just speaks about the different gifts of the Spirit. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith. If service in our serving. The one who teaches in his teaching. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. The one who contributes in generosity. The one who leads with zeal. 
one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. To to honor someone, you simply need to see, okay, what's the gift of the Spirit? How are the gifts of the Spirit even working in someone's life? Just identify that and encourage them in that. To honor one another means that we are people's cheerleaders. Cheer whatever they do, right? It's easy to cheer when someone scores a touchdown, right? Score a touchdown, woo, right? Unless it's against the Bears. If it's right for the Bears, it's great if it's a touchdown. But even around the church... We ought to be honoring people even if they make just a yard in their carry. Or maybe in their effort even if they lost a few yards. Because that's a way to to honor people. Because you can often find what is good, what's helpful, what's godly in people's lives. And this, I'm telling you, should happen all the time. So here's what I want to do. I want to provide an opportunity for it to happen. I want you simply to turn to whoever's next to you. And seek to honor them. Maybe if you have a couple, that, that if you're just two people, that's okay. If you have three, that's even better because one can talk to the other person about this person and how to just honor them. And simply all you need to do is just find something in their life, which they have done in a godly, spirit-focused way that, that's true, and just speak good words into their life. You ready? I'll give you about three minutes. So why don't you go ahead and do that. Okay, you ready? Just turn, talk. This is practice. That should happen not only in the family, that also should happen in the family of God. That should happen in a church. We should do so also with a, a right heart. Right, in the case of Haman and Mordecai, it's clear he had a, he had a bad attitude. He, he, he didn't want to put the king's robes or crown on, on Mordecai. He didn't want to mount Mordecai on the king's horse. He didn't want to say, thus shall it be done to the man to whom the king delights in honor and when he returned home and mourning and his head covered, it showed that his honor was half-hearted at best. You don't want to force this, right? But this ought to be the flavor of what, what comes from your heart and in your family and in, and in the church. Because this honor should come from love. Haman was forced to honor his enemy, and that was, that was no good. But rather, we need to honor from love. In fact, that's, that's the link, right? Love one another with brotherly affection and outdo one another in showing honor. So our message this morning is entitled, Eager to Honor. Let me just show you the eagerness with which that is. It, it, it kind of even shows, you get a sense when he says, outdo one another in showing honor. You, you get a sense of how earnest we ought to be in this, okay? Outdo one another in showing honor. It's as if Paul's setting up like this healthy competition, It's a competition to honor, not seeking your own honor, but seeking the honor of others. Each of us are called to outdo one another in honoring other people. So literally, Paul says this, rather than outdo one another in giving honor, it's lead the way in showing honor or be in front in regard to showing honor. I know in my life, that the one of the things I've seen is that one of the best ways to um, produce actions in life is to like introduce some sort of little competition into the matter. Right? You want to have a child to do something? Introduce the idea of breaking a record. Right? There's a newspaper outside, and sometimes he gets a newspaper for you, and sometimes he doesn't say, "Jimmy, how fast do you think you can run outside? How fast do you think you can run outside, get that newspaper, and come back in here?" I think the world record is 30 seconds. I, I, I think so. You think you can do it that fast? I don't know. You say, one, two, three. And you don't even have to say four, five, and six because Jimmy can't hear you because he's already out the door trying to get that thing to try and get back. What's that doing? That's introducing a little competition that, that Jimmy wants to break the world record. 
30 seconds. That's a world record for in your house going out there and back, all right? There's something about competition that pulls out the best in us. Or you're playing ping pong, right? And you got some friends over and you're playing ping pong, maybe at your house. And that's all fun and all. But you know what happens if you drop a bracket and try to have like a little tournament and competition? You know what happens? All of a sudden, a lot more intensity gets there, right? And you start really trying to, to play your ping pong. It gets a little bit more competitive because it just seeks the best out of you. Or, or, or even with, um, like, if, if you want to get in shape or you want to feel better, you just talk to someone and say, you know what, here in the fall, the, there's going to be a 5K. How about, how about we just run that 5K together? That'd be good. In fact, let's see who can run that 5K faster. You're like, okay, and over the next couple months, you got this, this 5K thing on your mind that you're going you're gonna to work to run it so you can beat your friend. You know, friendly competition. And so likewise, Paul is adding some incentive here. He says, let there, let there be in the church this little healthy competition. Let there be this competition of, of giving honor. I want for all of you to be the best giving honor person. I want you to be the best at showing honor to others. And every one of us have this challenge of being the best and showing honor. This command is going right, to give some incentive to us. Now, it is interesting, isn't it? Because only one of us can fully obey this command. Because only one of us can be the best giver of honor. I mean, everyone, I mean there's only one who's best. And maybe it says right, be in the lead, right? Maybe there's someone else, or maybe there's someone else. So technically, you know, only one of us. But he, he's not—he's not seeking really for us to like have this real. Con- he's just saying be earnest about it, and try to outdo your neighbor. Try to outdo your brother. There's a song: "Anything you can do, I can do better. I can do anything better than you." How many of you know that song? Kind of goes back and forth with these sisters, right? They're talking, anything you can do, I can do better. No, you can't. Yes, I can. No, you can't. Yes, you can't. Which should be in the church, right? Anything you honor, well, I'll honor better. And I'll do it better. And I'll do it better. And I'll do it better. And and you start doing that, and you promote a culture of deferring to one another. Now, of course, Paul isn't seeking to say, okay, so who gains the the best at giving honor badge, right? We're going to determine that, and there's going to be this winner, and we're going to have it right at the end of October. Whoever finishes first place is going to have that. I don't don't think so, because that's like like this prideful thing, like, oh, I'm the best honor giver. No, you've kind of disqualified yourself, because humility and honor go together. There's a link. There's a link there between these. Remember when Jesus was at the home of the Pharisee, and... uh, he had dinner over there, it's told in Luke chapter 14. And he's, uh, he's having dinner with them, and he's noticing how they're all seeking places of honor. And Jesus says to them this. He says, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor. Let someone more desirable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person. And then you'll begin with shame to take the lower place. But when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. And then you'll be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. I mean, there's there's link between humility and honor. It's not it's not the matter that, well, I'm going to I'm going to honor most people. Therefore, I'm going to be the best. No, when you honor someone, you're lifting them up. And actually, you're kind of going down as you lift them up. You are considering them as more important than yourselves. Does that ring a bell? How about Romans 12, verse 3? For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, 
but to think so with sober judgment, each according to the measure of his faith that God has assigned. So in this, in this, in this church that he's trying to, verse chapter 12, is just describing this church of redeemed believers, how they ought to look together, how they ought to live together with one another. It should be that we lift others up. We ought not to think of ourselves more highly, but think of others as more highly and lift them up. Proverbs fifteen thirty three says, humility comes before honor. And as people are humbly walking about, it's our job. They're not thinking more important of themselves. It's our job to help pick them up and to exalt them. The lowliest of servants, to bring up the lowliest servants and to identify them and to, to help them and encourage them in their work. Can, can you imagine a church where everyone doesn't think more highly of themselves than they ought to think? Can you imagine a church like that? Can you imagine a church where, where everyone is thinking about ways that they can give honor to other people? What an amazing place that would be. Rather than tearing down, right? they would believe the best and they would build up. People would love to come to that place. You all would love to come to that place. Sunday morning no longer becomes any burden. Church activity no longer becomes any burden. It's a, it's a delightful place because you know that people are going to be there. They're going to build you up. And, and your heart's desire is to build up everyone else in this healthy competition. Oh, that Rock Valley Bible Church would, would be such a place. That'd be wonderful. And, and this honor, actually, that we show... It should go to everyone. We should be, Christians should be honor showers. All across the board. 1 Peter 2.17 says, Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. So we honor everyone. Even those outside the church. We're to, we're to honor them. We're going to walk in such a way that's just honoring other people. But we ought to love the beloved, right? Love those in the family of God. We ought to Fear God and then honor the emperor. Now, in those days, the emperor was Nero, who was burning Christians for believing, for being atheists, right? Not believing in the Roman pantheon, but believing in this other God. And he's even saying, honor the emperor. And we need to honor those in political power among us, right? There's this, our country is just so, everything's just all against. And whatever you feel about Trump or Obama, we still need to honor our our leaders honor the emperor is what he's saying we need to show honor at all but especially even to those in the church and paul i think stood out above anyone as a as a great honor giver look look over in chapter 16 and we're going to just read through a portion of this chapter and then we're going to end but i want you to see just paul's efforts at giving honor he doesn't say he's giving honor but that's that's exactly what's, what's taking place here. He says, Romans 16, 1, he says, I commend you, our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Centria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Those are honoring words to Phoebe. He's not tearing her down. Rather, what he's building her up so that others might see her in perspective and come alongside her and really help serve her because she's been a servant to others. In fact, that's what he even calls her, a servant of the church. She's one that's given of herself to help others. Now, I, we don't know what the details are there, but maybe financial help, maybe some assistance for those in need, maybe arranging some administrative details of the church or helping organize help for others or something. She's just been a servant of the church, ready and willing and able to help those in need of the church. 
Furthermore, then Paul is calling those in the church then to serve her. That's why he's saying, she's a servant to you. Then you need to help her, says in verse 2, in whatever she may need for you. Whatever she may need. What exactly does it say? Whatever she need from you. Right. She's such a servant that she wants to serve others that, that you can help her by whatever she asks you give to her because you know whatever you're going to give to her or help her, it's just going to help others. She doesn't for herself, but she has been a supporter. She's been a patron of many and of myself. She has helped so many people. She's given to so many people. And that's just honoring her. That's one person Paul honors. Verse 3, <clears throat> greet Prisca and Aquila. Or as Luke calls them in the book of Acts, Priscilla and Aquila. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risk their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church that's in their house. And these words, I believe he's, he's honoring Prisca and Aquila. He calls them fellow workers in Christ Jesus. And they were. If you trace the story through the book of Acts, you read in Acts chapter 18. Verses 1 through 3, that they met there in Corinth, and they were the same trade, and, and uh, they were both tent makers, Paul was, and, and they were as well. And so it's like home builders, because homes were of tents back then. And so whenever these skins, they were making them. And I think that they helped him financially. They helped him provide a job so he could do some things. And I think also when, uh, when Paul and Silas, when Timothy and Silas came, Paul was able to free himself up completely, dedicating himself to the ministry of the word. And I think that Prisca and Aquila were certainly part of that as well. Just helping Paul. And Paul brings that up. That they are his fellow workers. They're in this with me. Where, where I am, they are. And, and so also, he, he says that they risked their necks for his life. That is, they, they whatever were willing to die for Paul. Sacrificial love, totally. Now, the Bible is silent about the details. We don't know anything about it. And I don't even know if those in Rome knew anything about it at all. It may have been that Paul has has kind of brought this up subtly. So ask him about this sometime when they risked their lives for me. Just ask him. Maybe that was the... But it's a statement of honor that these people have, have, have risked it all for my life. And I am indebted to them. It's a subtle way to Paul lift them up that they are worthy of respect. Furthermore, they seem to travel, as Paul did, helping spread the word. Uh, at the end of Acts, at the end of Acts chapter 18, we find them in Ephesus, helping Apollos to preach more accurately the, the way of God. And now we find them in Rome. So they've traveled from Corinth to Ephesus and, Ephesus, and now they're in Rome. They're like, like fellow workers, like Paul is. He's traveling evangelists. And, and apparently, like verse 3 says, verse uh, 5 says, Hosting this church in their house. I think these words are very honoring of Paul. Just lifting up Prisca and Aquila so that people then would be drawn to them and be able to be served by them. We'll continue on in verse 5. Paul honors Epinatus. Verse, verse 5. Greet my beloved Epinatus, Epinatus, who was the first convert of Christ in Asia. It's interesting here that all Paul mentions with Epinatus is nothing that he did, but more than what he was. He was the first convert. But if you think about what the first convert means, that's like huge with implications. Like when missionaries go into cultures, and it's the first convert that comes in, oftentimes breaks the tidal wave, because there's this pressure. The gospel is being preached. It just builds up and builds up and builds up and builds up. And suddenly there's this one that believes, and then everyone follows after that. 
or in a family that happens sometimes. One person believes and everyone follows after that. But this was the first kind of way to honor him. He was the first one, bold enough, daring enough, to really believe these claims of Christ, first convert in Asia. And what an honor. What an honor. Verse 6, greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. A statement of honor. And much like Phoebe, she, she served others. But here Paul's pointing out that just the, the work, that she's worked hard for you. She's not just a servant. She's a hard-working servant. And, and I think what's, what's helpful is, is just the way that, that Paul, and honoring here is one who works hard. People will see that and acknowledge that and encourage her in that. Verse 7, greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen, my fellow prisoners who are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Andronicus and Junia were, were fellow Jews. That's what it means, kinsmen. They suffered right alongside of Paul, right in the stinky, rotten prison jail, right where they were in prison for the cross of Christ. In fact, Paul points out that they were in Christ before he was, and the implication is that they've been suffering longer than he has. They're more worthy of honor than Paul has because they have been in Christ longer than he was. They're to be commended for that. Paul saying those things just a way to honor these people. And then in the verse 8 and following, I'm just going to read these without comment because some all he's doing is he's, he's greeting these people. And I, and I want, you to, want you to think about this, right? In, um, at the end of some event, like say a vacation Bible school or some retreat or something you do, oftentimes there's this... Uh, a PowerPoint presentation at the end that shows kind of pictures to music. You know, know what I'm talking about, right? And how many kids or students or adults, when they're watching that, what are they looking for? They're looking for themselves. They're not looking for friends. In fact, I have, I've even heard people who have seen presentations like that, and they happen to be out of it. They said, they didn't even show me. Like, I was involved, but I wasn't there. Like, so that's how, that's how we think. So back then, they didn't have any end-of-the-program slideshows. What they have? They had letters. Think about the impact when Paul writes and they hear their name. Think about that. It's kind of honoring, right? That, that Paul, he's mentioning my name. He knows me. Like, I'm kind of, I, I know. There's like, there's like an honor that comes. And Paul mentions here, he says this. Verse 8, greet Ampelitus, my beloved in the Lord. And imagine if he just said, right, greet Yvon, my beloved in the Lord. Right? Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and our beloved Stachus, Right? Greet Bill, our beloved worker in Christ, and my beloved Chad. Greet Apelles, who's approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. I to greet Wendy, who's approved in Christ, and give those who belong to the Weeby family. I mean, that is how, that's how these people would hear it. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. Also his mother, who's been a mother to me as well. Boy, honor your father and mother. She's honoring this mother. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermes, and the brothers who are with them greet Philogenus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. It's more than 25 names that Paul mentions here in these verses. 
not a negative word is spoken about any of these people. Rather, he just, he just honored them, lifted them up, mentioned their name. Paul, the Apostle Paul knows them, knows a bit about their life, just seeking to honor them and, and pick them up. I believe Paul was eager to honor. And the question really this morning is, are you? Are you eager to honor? If we could some way measure and have this, this honor-giving award, are you in the running? If it's some kind of race or some kind of achievement or some kind of whatever, we're stacking up bricks or we're coloring right, these graph bars or whatever, like, are you even off the ground? Just encourage you to be in the running, to outdo one another in showing honor. And the Lord would use that in amazing ways in our church. Well, well, let me pray that God would do this in our midst. Oh, Father, I do pray that we as a, as a body would be about this. That we would seek to honor one another with our words and with our actions. God, that, that we would not simply be in church for ourselves, but we might not think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think, but that we would think of others. I pray for homes, God. I pray for homes where brothers and sisters are, are at each other. I pray, God, even today you might give grace to change that tide where they're not insulting one another. God, that's not a form of affection. I know many try to pass that off as they tease, spouses teasing one another, thinking it's affection. It's not. God, I pray that words of honor would flow from our, from our lips, that even we would honor those outside our, our church, our, our neighbors perhaps. God, they would just know that we are for them. God, yes, they're enemies for the gospel, but, but they are, are loved by us. God, it's the only way that they'll turn to repentance because it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. It's the kindness of others that lead to repentance. God, and easily that kindness comes as we honor everyone. And so help us, O oh God, to, to be in this challenge. God, to be eager to honor and to outdo one another in showing honor. God, help us in these things, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.